Welcome to another uh, podcast and video interview series for citiesabc.com, um, a cities that uh, uh, we profile the global leaders, researchers, and academics that are shaping the world, and as well coming up with the innovation and uh, different angles that can actually improve humanity, our cities, and the, the way we deal with our challenges, especially in a time of uh, very disturbing um, areas like healthcare and um, financial and economicals with the pandemic of COVID-19 coronavirus. So today we have with us Miguel Amaral, that is um, a PhD researcher in industrial engineering, especially specialized in the areas of entrepreneurship and as well part of uh, the Center for Innovation, Technology and Policy Research, IN Plus, from the University of Technico in Portugal, and has been as well working with the MIT. So Miguel has been working in multiple areas of uh, entrepreneurship, studying the different dynamics in entrepreneurship, and as well how innovation and special concepts like innovation frugal can be applied from the theory to the practice. And he has as well a significant career in the university and the academia. Welcome to this, our series, Miguel. It's an honor Hello. to have you here. So uh, to start, and I think um, having a bit of background about you, so can you tell us a bit about your education and uh, how do you come to the place where you are, where you are doing a lot of things between Lisbon, Portugal, but as well the US with the MIT and as well in India, a bit of background and history. Mm -hmm. You're still very young, but... <laughs> <laughs> Not that much, but uh, yeah, so... My background is uh, I studied, and um, then I did uh, this master in in technology management and innovation, and my PhD is also in industrial engineering and innovation. Uh, sorry, industrial engineering and management. Um, I did different types of training, and uh, I I'm very curious about many different fields. Uh, so, for example, I studied cinema. I did a, a, another master uh, on cinema and communication sciences, and also. For example, a three-year course in arts, painting. I'm very much connected to arts as well. And so I have a very diversified, uh, let's say, background and base of knowledge. I like many different things. Uh, and I like to connect them whenever it's possible, to connect all these dots and try to use it um, for, for some specific purposes. And so uh, I'm a professor at um, at Technical, which is the engineering school from the Lisbon University. And uh, I, I'm connected to the engineering and management department and teaching some courses like technology-based entrepreneurship, um, uh, public policy, innovations, all these, all these kinds of, um, of courses to master students and PhD students, uh, essentially. And I've been doing re research on uh, entrepreneurship in the last, last years. Uh, and also innovation, technological change, uh, trying to understand this, uh, these dynamics in society. Uh, so th this is part of what I've been doing um, as an academic, but also uh, in the academia, I'm trying to connect, connect students and, and, and do something in a, in a very practical way, uh, bringing some ideas and students to the field and with some, some interesting projects lately. So in terms of uh, one of the, the main areas that you've been working is precisely the areas of innovation and entrepreneurship, and as well, 
the dynamics of entrepreneurship. So we are in a particular um, sensitive moment, but just uh, on the research you've been doing, can you tell us some of the highlights how you've been researching the concepts of innovation and entrepreneurship, and as well coming from an engineer background, the areas of technology applied to innovation, to startups and, and to SMEs and different companies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I'm involved in many different types of uh, research projects and supervising many theses. And uh, sometimes these topics are, of course, they, they, also, they all connect with uh, technological change or uh, with innovation and entrepreneurship, but in, in very specific uh, subtopics, let's say. For example, I've been involved in a, in a project in Portugal uh, together with uh, Carnegie Mellon University in the United States. And we were studying, for example, uh, aeronautics in Portugal. So the, the research question was uh, with, um, uh, because we had uh, this big company, Embraer, a, a, big, uh, uh, a big aeronautics company, they, they, they started two plants in Portugal uh, 10 years ago. Uh, and then our research question was to check if this kind of uh, dynamics uh, would stimulate uh, the supply chain and new companies, new startups would join this industry. So basically we wanted to understand the, the dynamics of this, this industry in, in Portugal. And of course, in order to do that, we had to, to look at different dimensions of, of these issues. When you talk about this innovation about change you, you can you should look at technology you should look at people so we also looked a lot at uh, what kind of resources we need what kind of people uh, skilled people we have in portugal that can join this industry uh, so how are these skills evolving so you have to look at different uh, dimensions not not only technology of course so actually you can predict technological trajectories by looking at people new professions what people are doing uh, how people uh, concentrate uh, in geographically. So if you just look at data and if you see a lot of engineers concentrated in one region, it means that maybe there's some technology going on there. So you see, you can, uh, you can look at these technological trajectories from many different uh, standpoints. And um, so that was one, one project involving many people. Um, but I've been involved with many, many, many projects. Uh, for example, looking at open innovation, which is the capacity of companies to, to connect with, with different partners and if that has an impact on, on innovation, innovation performance, that kind of, that kind of uh, topics. Also entrepreneurship, so how, what are the determinants of starting a company? Uh, what is, the, the, what is the, the role played by human capital in starting and, and, and developing a, a business? So ma many different topics. Yeah. So um, sometimes a delay, so I'll try to see. So uh, in terms of uh, technological change, um, this is a massive topic and, and special right now um, with what is happening around the world. But before we go to the more present moments, so how do you define technological change, especially from an academic and from a scientific perspective? Because that, this is probably the biggest thing that has been affecting uh, humanity with fourth industrial revolution, so-called fourth industrial revolution, but as well, like you said, with all the dynamics that are affecting society, both from a 
let's say if you look at the, the different angles of innovation between uh, the research angle of the universities, but as well in relationship with the economical systems, with the political systems and so forth. So how, how has been your angle um, in terms of the technological part of the change and how you've been looking at this? So technological change is a very broad concept, of course, uh, and you can uh, look at it from many, many different angles. Uh, I would say that uh, it, it, will, it will be necessarily connected with some degree of innovation, because if we, if we are talking about change, basically we are, we are thinking about how, how technology can shape our lives, how can change the way we, we live, uh, how can, can it solve some problems. And uh, so it necessarily, uh, uh, in my vision, it connects with innovation. Uh, and uh, when you talk about innovation, of course, you have many, uh, again, many different ways to conceptualize it. But usually uh, I follow the, the, the Oslo Manual, which is a document uh, that is being pretty much used in, in the, by, by the European Commission to, to, to compare actually innovation across countries. And, so it's based on a survey that is done annually to, to many countries in Europe. And so they, they define um, in this Oslo manual, they define innovation as uh, some process, okay, uh, some, some kind of, some kind of um, change that, that can, uh, can, can be significantly different or radically different from what, what was being done before, right? Like it can be uh, organizational change, it can be a marketing change, um, a marketing innovation, uh, it, can, it can be a process innovation or product innovation, right? So you have these four types, uh, four ways of looking at, at innovation, uh, organizational process, product, and marketing. Uh, and it has to be something significantly improved or totally new that can actually solve problems and be, and be used uh, by people in their day-to-day -day life. So you have to have a market for, for that solution or people using it. Otherwise, I think I would say it's not innovation. Uh, and so that's, I think that's the most common definition. This is being used by, by many authors. Uh, and so I think uh, technological change connects uh, with technolog technological innovation, whether it is process uh, innovation with technolo new technologies, product innovations, so I think it, it connects with, 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 uh, with innovation, as I told you. And then, so basically you, you have uh, inventions, right? You have people uh, starting new products, new solutions. Uh, so an invention ha happens when you go from an idea, uh, which is intangible, to something more tangible. So if you try to um, make your idea explicit, if it's going from tacit to explicit, uh, you, and if, for example, if you patent that this idea or if you do some technical document uh, explaining your idea, your technolo technology-based idea, uh, you may have an invention. The difference between an invention and an innovation is the market. So if, you, if it's just an invention and nobody wants to use your patent, your invention, or your, your technology, if, if people don't find uh, a purpose for that, um, it's, it's not, not never going to reach the market, which, which means it's never going to become an innovation. It's not only uh, uh, just an invention. So you have this, all these different levels. You have inventions, you have ideas that it can, they can lead to, to inventions. These inventions can lead to innovations. 
and entrepreneurship is like the mediator you have it's like a vehicle to take these uh, inventions to the market right so that's the the, the importance of entrepreneurship because entrepreneurs uh, usually they have um, it depends because you also have many different types of entrepreneurs but usually there is this idea that the entrepreneur is someone who sees uh, see the opportunity to take this technology or this invention to the market to make a, pro a product out of this technology out of this idea so so when, when the entrepreneur does that it means that uh, it's going to take it to the market and everybody uh, will be able to use it and that is an, in an innovation so when we look at, um, I think, special technological innovation, and I think I would like to, to touch a bit in, in your work with University of Technic, which is probably the leading engineer university in Portugal. Um, how do you see the relationship between the quadruple, if you look at the quadruple of, of or the quadruple Alex, or, or as well the quintuple Alex, that is between the different areas of uh, society, um, universities, industry, and of course, going forward more and more, the citizens or the environment. How do you see that, for instance, from the angle of the University Technic, the university where I've been working? Because I think it's very important right now to understand especially how Portugal has been advancing and, and leaping forward, uh, I think, quite substantial in the last 10 years. But that angle between the university, the industry, the society, and as well the citizens, do you see that quadruple or quintuple angle working in terms of uh, innovation and transformation, transformational change, um, the idea of technology? Yeah, of course, I think it works, but it takes time. Uh, it's also, it involves a lot of trust between all these actors, these social actors. Uh, so what happens is, uh, for example, Technico is, is, the, is uh, maybe the most or one of the most uh, schools uh, in, in, in Portugal which is more autonomous uh, in terms of budget. So we, we have a lot of collaboration with, with the industry, and of course, uh, the public school. So uh, part of our budget is public, but a very high percentage is, is coming from uh, these collaborations with industry. So actually, we, we collaborate with firms, we solve, prob we solve problems, we engage in, in joint projects. And so, uh, that is very important and that, that, uh, that is a reality. It's happening everywhere in the world, uh, but it's not easy, right? So uh, you have many different um, barriers, let's say, or constraints and different mindsets between these different worlds. You have academics doing research, uh, which takes time, right? So if I'm supervising a PhD, uh, he or she are going to, to study some topic for four or five years dedicate full time to, to, to the study of one specific topic. And uh, so I have to follow them. Uh, we have to work together. They might co collaborate with companies, but w when you see this, um, this perspective from the research, it takes time. So you, you, you need a lot of time to learn and to develop ideas and to conceptualize, to think about the problems. And in companies, uh, the timing is different. So companies had uh, real problems to solve immediately. So they cannot wait three, four years. So uh, they have to solve it. And some, sometimes they, they have to take decisions based on the available information and that's it. They cannot spend a lot of time doing research. Some companies do it. They, they have a more long-term perspective, but that involves costs. That involves uh, an organizational culture. 
which also takes time to, to create. So you see, you have these two different worlds and sometimes it's different for them to, difficult for them to connect. Uh, but when it happens, it's, I think it's very uh, productive for, for both uh, parts. So there are a lot of incentives uh, also for uh, universities to engage with companies and vice versa. Uh, and, and even public incentives, uh, there's some programs um, implying that, uh, so this, this uh, call for projects and funding uh, aimed at these collaborations, that, so this funding can support these collaborations. And more and more, um, I think in Portugal and in many countries, we are working a lot also on um, science diffusion, so trying to reach other types of Publics, maybe also non-specialized um, people. So people have to learn to understand what is what, what is technology. So what's the purpose of technology? Maybe in, in a non-technical language as well. So universities also have the responsibility to do that to to explain to broader audiences what are the results of our research. Then we have another angle, which is the policy making. So basically, we have uh, universities, research institutes, you have, you have companies, you have citizens in general, and you have policymakers uh, who also benefit from this, this connection because the, we, uh, this research can inform policymaking decisions. Uh, and so policymakers can, can also benefit from this knowledge when they, when they establish their policies, their, their, when they design their, their programs and all that. So that's what's happening uh, everywhere. But um, there are, there, as, I, as I said, there are many barriers, I think. But in Portugal, things are, I think, things are, are, are improving a lot in the last, in the last years. Um, more and more, I think technology, innovation, entrepreneurship, these, these, are, these words are very much common nowadays. Everybody uh, is following what's happening in the world and, and everybody's connected with this these uh, changes right and maybe 10 years ago i think uh, for researchers of, of course if you are working on, with technology on innovation uh, it's pr pretty much normal but maybe 10 years ago for the normal citizen in portugal um this uh, idea of entrepreneurship of the technological innovation of the role of technology in society it was a bit uh, it was not that strong than, than it is nowadays so um, one so the, the the university where you are a professor it's, it's one of the universities that have been creating probably some of the leading politicians in, in Portugal especially ministers of science and technology and a lot of other ministers uh, leading the country so there's a component of uh, as well relationship between of course the research university and the political and as well the, the policy making by all means did you saw so in terms of practical elements, uh, and as well, for instance, you are part of the uh, IN Plus, which is uh, the Center for Innovation, Technology, and Policy Research, that is a cross-disciplinary research venue acting since 1998. It was actually created by the present, uh, I think one of the creators was the present Minister of Science and um, University Education in Portugal. So. Can you tell this relationship between, first of all, of course, this research and the angle of policy, society, and politi politics as well? And do you see a progress on that level um, 
in terms of creation of companies that have interesting dynamics because and, and, and just to put the, the question a bit more more complex but i think it's important for us if you look at the us a huge part of the innovation that was created probably in the last 50 years or even 100 years came out of the the angle the investment from the state uh, from even people don't talk about that but if you look at silicon valley started by grants they were initially done by the u.s government and then the relationships with the universities of um, california the other all the universities stanford and berkeley and of course the biggest corporations that we have right now the from the likes of um, google to facebook uh, and a lot of others were created by or students of the major universities or uh, actually even within the universities do you see that happening in portugal um, and how do you see the these angles and these dynamics especially the in plus and other work we've been working closer yes um, in plus Plus, uh, as you said, is a multidisciplinary research center combining things uh, like combust combustion and people studying, for example, flames. And um, it started with lasers and this kind of uh, engineering um, topics, but but also a lot of work on smart cities, for example, uh, on sustainability, industrial ecology, circular economy, so all these topics, uh, and, and uh, finally policy making. And as you said, uh, one of the founders, uh, Manuel, uh, he, he started um, as an engineer and then started diverging a, a, a bit into different topics like innovation. So he was maybe one of the first person, persons in Portugal studying innovation in a more systematic way, involving many partners, researchers from all over the world. So it, I think he generated these, um, these dynamics around innovation and all these topics, uh, technological innovation. Um, and obviously with, with, the, with the focus on, on policy. So, and, and the, actually I think that was a very coherent uh, path uh, because he's now the, the minister. And so uh, he was really interested in these topics. So it, it uh, these made all these different uh, interests from, from people integrating IN Plus, made IN Plus a very multidisciplinary and inter inter interesting place to be. Um, and so it, uh, there's a lot of things going on in the center. And uh, what you mentioned is uh, this policy dimension. Yes, I think, uh, so it, it touched many, many different uh, things. So. Uh, the policy dimension is there because it, as a researcher, of course, you have freedom to uh, to choose your topic. So I don't impose my students to, to do this or that. I, I just, I follow what, uh, of course, there's a, a broad topic, uh, um, a domain of knowledge or interest, but then they uh, they are free to choose their topics. And, and uh, I think um, within this freedom, uh, that you have you have to to have as a researcher, of course you may be interested in looking not only at the, the at technology as a black box, but how it relates with what is outside the box, with all these forces that surrounds this this black box of technology, and what, and especially with policy. So many students are interested in looking at how uh, these the results of my scientific work can impact on. Uh, policymakers, practitioners, okay, so not only academics. So 
I think research uh, first, if uh, research should be connected um, to some contribution, some academic contribution, because it's it is scientific research, right? So this is the I would say the uh, the basic. Uh, if you do research, you need to contribute to to scientific uh, to the scientific body of, of knowledge. But of course, can go up some levels. So you may want to do that, but also have implications for practitioners, or maybe your work may also have implications for policymakers. So you can have layers and layers of contributions and implications. And I think more and more, um, going strictly to your to your question, so more and more at IM Plus and at IST and um, and in many many places in the, in the world, of course, um, people are are looking at this policy dim dimension. So how ca how can my results really connect to 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 the way things uh, things uh, happen to all these decision making processes in, in the world? Uh, and uh, for example. As you you mentioned the, the the role of states, right? The the, the fact that states, uh, for example, you mentioned Silicon Valley, and the fact that uh, it was a lot of what happened there uh, was publicly funded, and so that is that is very that is true, and and it happens also in many places. So governments sometimes they do this technology push. So you see, companies sometimes cannot afford uh, doing research on on very very uh, cost-intensive uh, fields, or if there is especially in very emergent uh, areas, if the results are not uh, predictable. So the risk is very high. So usually governments they they face this risk and they invest in. in in, uh, technologies and sometimes in general purpose technologies uh, sometimes without uh, even uh, necessarily knowing what is going to happen in the end or what is the market need so it's just an interesting technology and strategically some government believes that we should invest let's let's suppose for example let's talk for example uh, about blockchain um, you may have companies investing in blockchain maybe smaller or larger companies but if, if you talk about some, let's suppose there's the possibility of doing a radically new uh, infrastructure or some real, real breakthrough in this technology. And it would involve uh, huge, huge investments. If there's a lot of risk for companies, so they will not put, put the money. So they, they will be a, a bit... Uh, um, uh, they, they they are not going to move. Maybe, maybe the government may say, "Okay, we believe this technology is very important. It's going to change the way we live, and we are going to invest on this technology. So we are we are going to stimulate to use this public money to uh, to stimulate research on these fields. So they start stimulating research. So they don't have a specific purpose in the market uh, problem uh, right now, but they start doing this, and eventually in twenty years. There's a huge body of knowledge, and then the the, the application of all this knowledge is is going to to happen, and so the same happened, for example, with the laser industry. Many industries where where the state just invested a lot of money, and then uh, companies, uh, of course, uh, they they use this this knowledge to also to to develop their products. So I think what you mentioned is uh, is very much debated and discussed by many authors. And I'm remembering uh, Mariana Mazzucato, for example, she, she's uh, writing a lot about this, about how 
how states should be um, entrepreneurial in the sense that uh, usually we look at states as, as, as some entities uh, who uh, just try to solve market failures. So if there's a market failure, the state uh, can intervene. But what she's saying is that um, the state should not only address market failures, but it should be proactive uh, and entrepreneurial in the sense that the state should choose strategic domains uh, of, of knowledge or strategic, let's say, um, I'm, I'm not going to say industries because uh, nowadays uh, you, you, you shouldn't have this sectoral perspective because things are very much um, across all industries. But uh, so you see, uh, gov governments can have this attitude of saying, okay, we, we want to use this money to invest in education, technology, uh, and so we, are, we want to be proactive instead of just solving market failures. And so that's the idea of the entrepreneurial state. Uh, and I think that's happening more and more. And if you see what's happening uh, happening now with COVID-19, in Portugal at least, uh, what, what, uh, I'm, I'm home like uh, most everybody in many countries, um, but uh, what's happening is that people are mobilizing and, and uh, in Portugal, for example, we had many universities, research centers, scientists, collaborating, trying to find solutions. You have students, I had students uh, doing uh, these uh, 3D printed masks and uh, everybody's collaborating and using these uh, technology and science to, uh, to solve, to try to solve or mitigate this, this problem. So I think this is the result of, uh, I would say, the, the, the capacity of countries to mobilize and individuals to mobilize and use their knowledge and the technology available to solve uh, this some problem that that is um, that nobody was expecting. So um, so there's a lot of uncertainty, but I think the knowledge we have allow allows us to deal with this uncertainty. And this capacity is I think it's wonderful because it's the result of a lot of public investment, private investment, a lot of people um, working on 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 science and technology. And, and, uh, so. I, I think uh, the society is mobilizing and this is the result of all this investment. So the message is uh, invest, investment on, on education, on technology, it's fundamental and uh, it gives uh, very impressive results even in these uncertainty situations, right? So one of, <clears throat> one of the things that uh, it's particular different in terms of policies and in terms of investment is the difference between uh, Europe, where Portugal is based, and the US. <coughs> you, and then, of course, you have India or Asia or Southeast Asia, which is completely different. So, I've been working both with Portugal, of course, and you have a, as assistant professor of the university, you've been uh, with your academic career that, as a researcher and as well part of this institute, but then you've been working as well with leading universities in the US, like Carnegie and as well MIT. So, uh, and in Europe, for us, there's a much more innovation driven by governments. Um, whereas in the US, there's some fees and normally some initial funding from the government, but then the industry has to push things forward and it becomes more industry driven. Do you see from your experience working with the major universities, especially the Carnegie and MIT, a massive difference between 
what is happening in terms of innovation in the US and what is happening in, in, uh, in Portugal and in Europe where we are based. Um, and as well in terms of the education, is a big difference or things are more and more similar? Uh, of course, there are differences. Um, but again, there are many visions uh, on that. For example, as I, as I told you before, um, uh, I was mentioning uh, Mazzucato's work and, and she, for example, she gives the example of the, the iPhone as something, uh, something that, that was um, um, these products, many of the components of, of, the, of the iPhone uh, have a lot of uh, public funding. So the touch screen, the I don't know, camera, so all, all these different components, they were public, publicly found, funded by, by during many years. So I think this idea that um, in Europe everything is public, in the US everything is private, well, it, of course, uh, it happens in many domains, but uh, sometimes uh, you also have a lot of public funding. Uh, and as I told you, this, uh, it happens for during decades, the government is stimulating some, some technology or it's just putting money, it's, it's technology push, not necessarily market, market uh, uh, driven and then uh, companies then take advantage of this as well. So, the, and then another question is uh, the results of these of these uh, innovations uh, because they are captured by private companies. So when they when these companies have profit, of course they pay taxes. But there's another discussion so because sometimes they pay taxes not in in the country of origin. They pay pay taxes in other countries if they have their working force in countries like China or whatever. So there's this big discussion about uh, that question, if, if it's really like that, if the, the government is not really intervening a lot in, in the US. I think it is. Uh, I think it's also, the government is also investing a lot. It's not only private companies. Um, and so, uh, of course, there are differences because, because uh, the US is, is a totally different country and uh, even the culture is different uh, in many aspects, of course. Um, but okay, so I think that's normal. It's normal to that you find that you find differences between uh, between these countries, and uh, it depends, of course, on uh, on the fact that innovation can also be geographically uh, concentrated. Let's say, for example. Um, life sciences and biotech. Uh, th in these fields, for example, you have the Bay Area, Boston. So you have many, a uh, couple of places in the world where this actually works because you have uh, investors that really put a lot of money. They, they really understand about uh, a lot about the business. So they really know what they are doing. Uh, and I think in, in Europe, for example, the 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 level of these levels of investment are not the same. Uh, um, I think the the way these business angels or venture capital companies follow uh, these very specific um, uh, companies uh, in 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 Europe, it's not maybe in some cases not that specialized like in the US. So I think you have these different niches of. Uh, of uh, different industries and different technologies that may work better in some some region in the world rather than, than other. So 
in general, I think uh, I think that's that's normal to have all these differences. So one of the things uh, uh, to follow up still on the education and the angles is that so if you look at uh, the success or at least the biggest measure technology and your area of expertise, uh, the measure technology breakthroughs, <clears throat> at least in the last 50 years, they happened in the US. Um, and although Europe has been having a huge amount of innovation with, I think, a few couple of exceptions, we didn't uh, achieve to have not even close to the, the technology. Uh, first of all, the number of technology companies that came out and as well the impact they have in the world. Um, and I think, to be honest, probably if you look at uh, Europe as a whole, and I'm going a bit right now on geopolitics, but uh, Europe, most, most of the innovation that came out in terms of, I'm talking about mainstream technology, came out of the smart tech city London and the smart city or smart nation right now. Um, I'm talking about billion dollars companies that have been having a massive effect in terms of the world economy. So Portugal recently got at least uh, three or four major multi-billion dollars companies, the, the so-called unicorns that have been actually based around the ecosystem of uh, Portugal and the US and Europe, especially UK. How do you see these dynamics in terms of innovation and in terms of uh, the relationship with society? Because in the end of the day, um, the research and innovation, well, of course, that can be more driven uh, by the state, uh, like you, you have the case of China and other areas, um, <clears throat> especially in Asia. But in the case of US, definitely there was a, uh, of course, the things might change for the next 10, 20 years because Asia is, is taking over, but definitely there was a massive leadership which is still going on let's be honest we we are using almost all the products we're using are effectively american created or american innovative driven and then probably assemble in um in asia especially in india and china so how do you see these dynamics from uh, the policy angle and from the research and education angle especially you they've been actually working between europe us and as well right now in india mm -hmm. Well, that's that's a very hard question because um, I don't. I think I don't believe in formulas because when people talk about these unicorns and gazelles, these high growth companies, uh, everybody is looking for like this secret sauce or this formula that uh, will uh, help them to to grow like that or to have this uh, very fast growing and. And so I think it's very hard. And even from a research perspective, uh, you don't, uh, there's no, uh, we are not certain about what, what are the determinants of that. Uh, if you look at these high growth companies, for example, um, if uh, these high growth companies, usually the, the metrics to, to, to look at them is, a consecutive growth of 20% growth per, per year, I think, during three consecutive years. I think that's, that's the metrics, one of the most used metrics. But um, so let's suppose I grow 20% uh, per year during three uh, consecutive years. So I'm a high growth company. Uh, if, I'm a, if I'm a recent company up to five years, uh, we call them gazelles. So these, very, these startups that grow very, very fast. So what, what's happening is in many cases, it's not, why, why are these companies in, interesting? Because 
a small number of companies. These are rare, very rare events, let's say. So it's not, uh, usually it's very rare that companies grow a lot in, uh, on a systematic basis every year. Uh, so th that's not the majority of companies. It's a very small percentage of companies uh, in, all, in all these developed countries. Um, but the, the interesting fact is that uh, such a small percentage of companies generates uh, a proportionally high uh, high percentage of jobs. And that's, and that's important. That's why policymakers uh, want to look at these high growth companies. And, um, uh, but the thing is, it's curious that usually the most, the companies that are really growing more uh, and faster, it, it's, not, it's not the gazelles, it's not the startups, it's, it's the more mature firms. And I think we, uh, we, don't, we don't have enough knowledge nowadays to under really understand this phenomenon, why suddenly this company was growing at a very linear pace and then it, it gets exponential or something. Um, I think many people um, connect it with, uh, it can be because of uh, some specific, let's say some contracts. Uh, so if you get some specific partnership or business or it can uh, fuel your company and you can grow a lot immediately because it just happened uh, that you get, you got, you got that, uh, that, specific, um, that specific contract or business, but it may be connected to, to human capital suddenly you really invest in human capital maybe you you, you can have this growth potential uh, it can it can be connected to some uh, technology so if you develop some new technology and if it's uh, a radical innovation it may uh, really impact on, on this growth of your company so you can have many many reasons for this uh, growth to happen so my message is that there's no specific formula um, to understand this high growth and also unicorns. Why companies, some, some of the startups really grow? Um, yeah, because they just, maybe they, they, are, they, are, they detected some market gap and they addressed it in a very good way and they developed the right technology, the, the right timing. So a lot of variables uh, converging uh, for that to happen. So it's not, it's not very easy to, to explain this, this phenomenon. But what I, what I mean is these companies, uh, of course, the, many of these companies are really changing the way we live and uh, the way we, uh, we do things um, now. And so that's why usually you have these different, when we talk about innovation, uh, if, you, if you cross this um, te technolo technological, technological complexity, Let's say if you cross it with uh, the market that you can reach with your product, uh, usually we associate uh, products that have uh, high complexity, uh, sophisticated technology uh, with uh, radical innovation and breakthroughs. But, but what we are seeing nowadays in, with the shared economy and all these new, new, uh, new trends uh, is that sometimes you don't need uh, really high-tech, very sophisticated technology to reach a lot of people uh, and to develop some breakthrough innovation. Uh, so, for, for example, uh, for example, I don't know, everybody talks about Uber and Airbnb. This, 
I think these these uh, services uh, they are based on technology technology technological platforms which are sophisticated not that much sophisticated it's not rocket science right but the thing is it's it's a very good idea uh, and people relate with that uh, and they find it more uh, let's say user friendly more transparent I don't know uh, and that's why they reach a lot of people. So I think it's a mix between all these, uh, between the technological level, the, the problem, the market problem that you address, and all these variables. How do you invest in your uh, innovation inputs? Uh, if your company is investing in R&D, in the best people, uh, the best, best equipment. Uh, so if you have a long-term vision instead of a very short-term vision, so there are, it's very, very complex. It's very hard to isolate uh, the effect of each one of these variables and try to understand exactly what, the, what is the formula for, for the success of these firms. So what I, what I say is that regardless of, of that, they are really shaping, the, in many cases, what, what we are doing right now. So one of the things that you've been uh, particularly interested in is mapping frugal innovation and as well doing research and applying frugal innovation to your work and, and the academic and as well in real case studies, uh, especially in India. Can you tell us about, first of all, define frugal innovation and second, your work on that area? Okay. So uh, what, what happened was that uh, I've been... I've been teaching uh, technology-based entrepreneurship for more than 10 years. And uh, usually what I, what I used to, to do with my students was this, this traditional business, uh, business plan uh, where they should develop some te technology-based idea and, uh, and think about the business model and how to transform these into a product, how to take it to market. And so that, that, that was what we, we were doing for many years. And they were exposed to case studies, usually these case studies that from uh, good universities in the world, Harvard Business School, or so case studies on, on, on entrepreneurship, okay, and, and technology. Uh, but suddenly, I think I decided to, to change that, that uh, because I noticed that uh, from semester to semester, the ideas were getting uh, very similar and uh, so all the students were, were all the, trying to develop the same things or, and usually these simple gadgets uh, with, okay, with some, uh, some interest, but not actually very huge impact. And of course, it's only a, a one semester course. So my expectations is not that they actually develop uh, impressive products and change the world. So it's just a course, but I wanted to adjust it to, to a more impactful, let's say, outcome and, and, and something with, with uh, actually, actually with, with uh, more meaning for me as well. And so um, I, I was uh, involved with some universities in India and, and I decided to do this, uh, this protocol with, uh, in the beginning with five universities in India. And what I... And my challenge was that they, they should give me some uh, problems, local problems, or just um, prepare some, some very simple document with explaining a couple of local problems in vulnerable communities. Uh, because I wanted to expose my students to a totally different reality. 
uh, and so they these partners in India they they gave me these uh, these briefings and I passed it to my students and students started addressing these problems which were totally different from what they knew before so totally new, different problems uh, different mindset different uh, geographical location so they have they had to deal with a lot of uncertainty so suddenly they 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 were challenged to work on problems coming from india so they, they didn't know india they, they've never been there they don't so they that forced forced the students to uh to do research about india about that specific region that specific community uh that specific problem to interact with colleagues from other other country so it opened uh, the mindset of students a lot and, and that was my goal uh, of course we have a lot of problems in portugal we don't know we don't need to, to go to india right so we we have a lot of problems and uh, and we can also we should also address them. But I wanted to do something outside of of the boundaries or outside of of the frontier of of Portugal, uh, and and actually out of Europe as well. So totally something totally new and uncertain for for the students. So they reacted very well, and um, they did very nice projects. Uh, in the beginning, it was very difficult for them, but then uh, they were persistent and and they did very nice projects. So I had in the beginning 30 students doing this. Then I, uh, by the end of the semester, I, I showed these, these results to my Indian partners. They were really uh, excited by the fact some, some students were addressing the, these specific problems and uh, on using different angles, different approaches. So that generated um, a stronger connection with these partners and uh, more interest from them. So after this, I, I I joined with uh, in this process. Uh, I joined with my colleague Ana Carvalho from my department, and she was she very much active in uh, sustainability, industrial ecology, and she's doing a lot of research also on frugal innovation. And so we decided to to combine what we we were doing, and we created this social innovation lab at IST. So the social innovation lab uh, aims to. Um, to bring together these different dimensions of this of these issues, so basically, we we are developing some educational model that addresses these problems, uh, these social uh, social innovation issues, and uh, and these social impact topics. So, what we do is we start with regular courses. We don't need to create new courses uh, about uh, sustainability or no, we use the courses we already have, where students, uh, they are supposed to do some projects on different topics. What we do is we change the challenges. Instead of doing some, um, some projects that are very much um, common and, and traditional, no, we say you have to develop projects with social impact. And, uh, and so they, they focus on this challenge. They, they use the knowledge they, they acquire in these courses. On, it can be, let's say, in my courses, technology-based entrepreneurship, but it can be from uh, industrial ecology course or from a mechanics, whatever. So they just use uh, whatever they are doing in that course, but apply it to a, a challenge with social impact in the world, you know, with a practical challenge. Uh, so that's the first stage of our model. The second stage is that uh, we, we 
we saw that students, they, the classroom was not enough. So they needed some space. So we created this physical lab where they can go and experiment and they can use tools to develop prototypes. They can just do meetings. They can uh, do whatever they want in the space 24 hours per day. So we combined the, uh, something happening within the classroom with something happening outside the classroom in this lab. And finally, we combine it with mobility. So we want to also to go out of the university and out of the country. So what I did uh, three months ago, I took students uh, to India. So basically they do this regular course, they, they address this social challenge, they do a project, and in the end they go to India or to any of these countries, right? So that is very much appealing for students. They, they, they really like this, this process. They, the, the experience of going to India after the course uh, totally changes the way they see uh, these cultural differences, the way they see technology, the way they see the entrepreneurship, the way they solve problems. So I think um, what I mean is this is happening all over the world, but separately. So you have mobility programs, you have courses focused on social issues, social impact. You have fab labs, you have uh, many different types of labs and places where students can, can uh, work together. But what we are doing is uh, doing something integrated. We are bringing these three dimensions together uh, in one semester. So uh, I think that's, um, that's interesting. And actually we, we, we won this pedagogical innovation prize uh, at IST with this idea, uh, together with other other projects as well, um, but um, but I think uh, it's I think it's exciting because um, it, we are not changing the contents of the courses, but we are changing the impact of what students are doing. That's very very interesting. So these students they went to India with me, and they had to implement this project in in a village. So they faced many problems in this village. They didn't have electricity or uh, water or, so they had to, to figure out how to implement their, this, um, this project and they had to do some field work. They had to interact with local people. So that is the huge ex experience I think for a student who is finishing. So I think that will make these students better engineers, better, better, better professionals. Uh, and people uh, who see the world not only as uh, Portugal or Europe, but as something really broad and with many, many different uh, issues and problems. So actually, uh, I see Portugal and Europe as uh, a very, like a drop in the ocean. This is not, I would say, the real world. What's happening all over the world is totally different. So you have many people living uh, without conditions, with many, many, many social problems. Uh, and so I think students, sometimes they don't have this notion that things are so different. Of course, they have some general notion. They see, they see the news, and, uh, but it's totally different when you actually have to study what's happening there and you have to relate with that people. You have to go there and provide some ideas and interact and learn, essentially. So I think this, this, uh, the goal here is not to, to go there and, and, uh, and uh, reinvent the wheel, but it's, it's uh, essentially for students to learn and to become better, better persons and, and uh, professionals, right? So um, this is, uh, of course, this is focused on social impact, but it's very much connected to frugal innovation. And going also back to your question, 
what is frugal innovation? It's very simple. It's uh, doing the using the minimum resources to do to do the maximum possible and for the most people possible. So and usually the concept is connected to base of the the pyramid uh, group groups of people. So people with very very little resources, um, the more the most vulnerable people, right, and communities. And so the goal is that students uh, are really frugal, that they use the, the less resources possible. Uh, so it's also about optimization. Um, sometimes you have to, to reinvent something uh, with, with almost without resources. Other, other, in some other cases, you have the resources, but you just you don't need to spend all that energy you don't need to spend all those materials so maybe you can cut you can optimize and have the same result with less consumption of, of uh, raw materials so that that's that is the the concept and i think it's um, it's pretty much used in the in the world in india i think india efforts in this uh, of frugal innovation they call it many times uh, jugad innovation so jugad is in portugal we also have this uh, similar expression uh, to 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 talk about the capacity to improvise uh and to do so without resources so in india they they also do it and um they call it jugad and uh, uh it's getting a pretty much established let's say uh concept and uh, you can find books on on the topic you can find papers looking at jugad um, and basically but it but it can be also debatable jugad uh in one, in the one hand, it's it's positive because it means that people are doing something without a lot of resources, uh, and they are solving problems, and that's wonderful. But on the other hand, uh, some people criticize because they say, uh, "Okay, we are doing things without resources, but it shouldn't be like that." So, the government should provide more resources, or um, basically, this is not the right way of doing things. It's just uh, an improvisation and not everything should be improvised. So I think in between, I think I'm positioned in between this. I think um, it's, uh, frugal innovation is not an excuse for, uh, for governments not to invest on, on innovation and, and just say, okay, you should be frugal, you do whatever you need without resources. So that shouldn't be an excuse for that. Um, but um, yeah, so it, it has to be something balanced. And that's it. So, for example, another interesting issue, when we talk about frugal innovation, usually people connect it to low tech uh, because just develop some simple solution with, uh, I don't know, without technology or with very, very uh, little technology. But it's not uh, really like that. For example, if you look at the Tata Nano, Tata Nano is this car model in India um developed by tata uh, so they developed this small very very cheap car um which is considered a frugal product because uh, it's a very inexpensive car uh it serves the purpose of taking you from point a to point b but it's very very cheap uh, so took out all the not necessary materials components so they they reshaped the car so that it could be very cheap and, and functional. So 
that is also frugal innovation and it's not necessarily low tech. So even uh, if you optimize a car, even it's, if it gets much cheaper and with less materials and components, it is, it's still a car. It requ requires a lot of technology. So it's not a low tech, uh, a low tech activity. It's a medium high activity or high. So uh, I'm talking about technology intensity, right? So I think this frugal concept can, can uh, be transversal to different uh, technology intensity levels. It's not necessarily low tech, like many people say. So I think, uh, yeah, it, it offers the possibility at least to students to, to, to learn that they can do a lot with, uh, with the minimum resources. Because they, they are a bit addicted to high tech and everything they do uh, is uh, high tech and they, they believe they, they all, always need a lot of resources. If they, they don't have the ideal resources, they can do nothing. That's totally wrong. They can do a lot with less resources. And that's the message I, uh, I'm, I'm trying to pass to my students. That's amazing, and it, it touched a lot of the, the angle between innovation, social impact, and as well, uh, how can we change the world? And so probably for the last um, wrap-up, because we've been actually already going through one hour, um, although <laughs> there's a lot of interesting things, we could go for more, but I think in purpose of keeping more or less around one hour. So one of the things that is critical, and probably to finalize, is um, how the universities, how entrepreneurs can cope with everything that is happening right now with the COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic. How do you see that from uh, your angle of expertise and how, what is the message of hope that you have as well? You, you touch frugal innovation, but, but it's, it's critical right now because for instance, if you look right now in entrepreneurs, uh, two or depends on the studies, depends on the country, but for instance in the US, I think one in five business or even two in five business are actually disappearing or going down. A lot of startups are as well failing because, of course, they have no liquidity or no capacity to move forward. So this is affecting the world, especially the business and the education as well. A lot of universities are getting substantial damage, especially the ones that are uh, with international students. So how do you see that from their angle and as well in positive message because you are very focused as well on social impact? Mm -hmm. Well, uh, we are still going through this through this uh, problem and it's very hard to, to do these predictions, but uh, I think it's obvious that this is going to lead to, to some economic crisis and uh, the effect of this is going to, to last for some years, I believe, I, I would say three, four years. Um, so it's not just uh, uh, waiting for, for, for this uh, em emergency state to, to finish and then we just go out and we, we start working again and everything is, is the same. Of course not. It's, it's going to be bad for, for the, during the next years. And um, in Portugal, for example, many companies are uh, in these layoff processes, sending people home. The, um, these workers are, are get, getting a lower wage um, because the, there's, uh, the, the, the government is complementing this wage. And so the worker still gets the wage, but uh, so the government splits with, with the companies. Uh, there are many measures uh, to support people, uh, I would say public, uh, public uh, measures, but, but also uh, it's amazing. I think uh, all these volunteers and people doing amazing stuff, uh, just trying to help. Uh, and, and so entrepreneurs, it depends on the type of business, uh, but if, uh, small, very small businesses, which account uh, in Portugal, it accounts for 98% of our economy. 
So basically, we have 98% of uh, micros, you know, very small businesses. Um, and so the impact is huge because these small businesses, they have to close. Uh, they have to wait. Sometimes they don't have the, the li liquidity, the, the means to, to, to actually to survive during this period. So it, it's going to be very hard and it's, it's already been, been very complicated. Um, but I think uh, it's cyclical and we, uh, these this problems happen before in society and people readjust, re uh, just adapt. And uh, I think uh, that's uh, our, our capacity as humans, right? To, uh, to adapt to all these circumstances and to move on. And so I think people are doing a lot of efforts, uh, entrepreneurs at the moment. They are, of course, many of them are benefiting from these public uh, support schemes. But I don't know if, um, so at some point, um, there's, it, it has to be some equilibrium between just um, keeping this situation uh, um, and uh, or, or maybe open it a little bit. So I think the solution will be just opening a little bit and people could be, could work for some period with all the, all the, the precautions and all that uh, and then maybe another another period at home without working so it's going to be this uh, episodic let's say uh, formula I would say because I think we cannot totally open and start working again like uh, and forget about what's happening um, but we cannot uh, of course stay home uh, forever so it, it has to, to to be some optimal point here and I think Policymakers have a, a, of course, a fundamental fundamental role here. They play a very important role because they they have to decide uh, if uh, what what to do, right? If if uh, they are going to open a little bit, if they are going to open totally, and so this is being um, very much debated, not also in Portugal, but in, in all the countries, right? Um, what is the the economic impact of 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 these? Um, and so, as I told you, my, my message of hope is very much connected uh, to, to the fact that this is cyclical and uh, I think we have to believe that uh, it's going, to, it's going to, to be better and we have to do this effort now. And also, uh, I'm very much um, happy with the fact that, uh, as I told you before, um, Policymakers, uh, researchers, uh, academics, uh, everybody is contributing somehow. Uh, I see many companies in Portugal totally shifting their their core uh, business, their, their not business, but their production, and adapting machines and to 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 build uh, or to to produce um, uh, something that is important for nurses, for for doctors. So. They are they are contributing uh, the way they can, and also um, regular citizens. So I see in my neighborhood, uh, I see people volunteering for, uh, I know to to help older people who are alone. They just uh, buy food and take them. So I've been doing that as well, and also uh, at different levels. So we need to be very creative and find ways of. Um, of contributing and, uh, and of, of mitigating this, this problem, even if it's something very small. Uh, I think in aggregate terms, it will work. 
if if each one of us just do whatever we can to help uh, and this is also a, a moment of uh, deep learning for for everybody about uh, about our se ourselves as individuals and uh, ourselves as a, a collective right so i think these concepts of shared economy circular economy frugal innovation they are very very much um, important right now because they help us understanding that we depend on each other and we can all be better off if we if we collaborate instead of uh, of competing right um and so this is very nice this, this is, i think this is an historical moment um of course it's not nice for the best reasons but i think uh, we we have to learn in, uh, out of this uh, and I, I think we will we will overcome this because we have uh, I think the, the knowledge we have uh, is, is sufficient to deal with the problem in the, in the, the next uh, months so uh, we already start uh, hearing about uh, vaccine about uh, treatments for the, for the problem so I think people are mobilizing really fast and also information and I think uh, it's very easy to now nowadays to to uh, to overcome these information asymmetries. So everybody knows that in real time what's happening. How many cases you have in Portugal? How many cases you have in the West, in London? Uh, how things are evolving uh, each minute? So we can actually follow. So and that information is precious um, for us to act and to 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 build solutions, right, collectively. So I think this is a very interesting period uh, in history and uh, we, are, we are learning a lot. And I, I just hope that uh, we can get, get out of this problem as a better society and not the opposite. Let's, let's see what's happening. Well, that's a fantastic way to finish. And um, I think, well, we could go for hours, but uh, I think we'll, we'll wrap up here. So, uh, Miguel, last thing. I speak a lot. No, 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 it's great. Well, that's the idea, not just speaking a lot. This is actually very important <laughs> things. It's just the, the, the format of one hour, because normally uh, one hour is for video. It's, it's very important. So in terms of um, where people can find you and there's the uh, information about the frugal innovation and different projects about INT, can you just let us that? We'll put, of course, these on, on the profile of the interview and they will be distributed through citiesabc.com but as well in, in intelligenthq.com and openbusinesscouncil.org um, where we're going to have as well a bio about yours. But can you tell us a bit about uh, where people can find you, especially information about frugal innovation projects you've been doing in India? Which I think is very important for our global audience. Okay, so uh, uh, as I told you, we, this is a recent project, the Social Innovation Lab, and um, we we have a web page. Uh, we have uh, we are on Instagram, uh, to, uh, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, so all these social media. Uh, and um, I think um, something interesting we we were. We, we were about to prepare uh, this uh, summer school with students from India and from Portugal and from uh, other countries in the world, uh, but we had to cancel because of, of uh, COVID. Um, but we we are we, we are postponing this this event for later, and I will I can give you some information on that. So uh, we are also going to do this hackathon involving uh, people from many countries uh, working on frugal solutions. So. 
these are just things that I think people can follow and uh, whenever we, we, we are ready to do this, this summer school and this hackathon, I think it would be nice for everybody to join and to, to, to discuss ideas with us about, this, about social impact, about food innovation and all these issues. So basic people can find us uh, uh, at IST in, in the Social Innovation Lab uh, and that's, uh, that's what we, we've been doing. Well, uh, thank you so much. Uh, we appreciate the time and actually the, the insightful and I think special the angle between um, the academic, the policies and as well the projects and, and your research in particular. You are as well going to be a contributor for citiesabc.com so we're going to be hearing from you in the platform in other uh, webinars and projects and people will be able to access you and as well. Okay, well, thank you so much, Miguel. Uh, it's been an honor and pleasure. And I think thank there's a lot of uh, interesting things here that we'll be uh, pushing on the video and the, as well as the text that will accompany it. Thank you. Thank you very much. Bye bye.